Uh, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Philippians. I'm excited to continue this. Uh, as, as he read for us, we are in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And so today, I want to talk to you about suffering. And the room goes radio silent. <laughs> yeah, more on that in a moment. Uh, but let me just remind you where we are uh, currently in the book of Philippians, uh, this wonderful, amazing book. Let me give you a little backstory here. Uh, so this letter is written by uh, the church planter, the Apostle Paul. He uh, has written this some 11 years after he planted the church in Philippi, which is a small European city uh, that became, in fact, one of his favorite churches that he planted. And so he had this deep friendship, love, and affection toward this church in Philippi. Last Sunday, we talked about this church being the unlikely church plant, right? That's what we talked about last Sunday. This was a church plant that was very diverse. Uh, they had young people. They had old people. They had different races, different ethnic backgrounds, different uh, economic st uh, statuses that was all in this church. But this became a unique family centered around the gospel of Jesus. And then God used this unlikely family that we talked about to really spur on this church planting and gospel proclaiming revival in their day and all throughout the known world at the time. And so I want to begin and I just want to say uh, this is a role model church for me, right? This church in Philippi. As I, as I was studying this church in Philippi, as I was reading this, I just start to uh, just dream. I start to cry out to God. Yeah, and I cry out to God and I say, Lord, would you, would you allow us to be this kind of church for our generation in such a similar way as well? You see, our church here today, we are not the biggest church. We are not the richest church. We are not the most talented church, starting with me, right? But neither was the church in Philippi, though, right? But nonetheless, Jesus captivated the hearts of these people. And they leveraged everything that they had to see the gospel revealed in their day. And so, church, I want us to be a church just like that church and God, would you allow us to be a church like that for this generation? So here it is, okay? This is an unlikely church family that Paul had planted, and they had this unique partnership with the Apostle Paul that he, uh, 11 years have passed now, and we find out that Paul has gotten arrested, and it is from his captivity that he writes this letter. And we know that he is under uh, Roman, uh, he, he is in a Roman prison cell. Uh, so, uh, we speculate that he is under house arrest. And uh, Paul finds himself in chains. And from his place of chains, he is writing this letter, the letter of Philippi to the Philippian church, both to encourage them, to lead them, um, even in this grim situation that he is in right there. And so here's what we're going to do today. Uh, last week we focused on the church. And so today, well, last week we talked about the church being an unlikely church. The church was this eclectic church plant. But today I want to talk about the imprisoned church planter, Paul. The imprisoned church planter, Paul. 
So in verse 12, it starts off and it talks about himself, right? It talks about um, he, he's sharing a greeting. He is addressing the church. And then he says, I want you guys to know about what has happened to me. I want you guys to know what's going on here. And so Paul starts to talk about himself. And this morning, uh, we are going to take a look at Paul's life. He is, this guy Paul, I mean, he is a model for us, right? Both in the Philippian church, and he's a model for us today as well. And uh, we're going to just see what it looks like to go through struggles and sufferings and trials and, you know, tribulations and as a Christian in light of the gospel. It has been said before that to be human is to suffer. To be human is to suffer. And so no one walks through this life without some measure of suffering, right? Without some measure of trials, without some measure of tragedies that we face. And church, I want us to be a church that doesn't get caught off guard, right? That, that we're like, you know what, I have, to, I have a trial that I have to go through. But that we would actually walk through it with our eyes wide open saying, man, I want to suffer as a Christian to the glory of God. Even through that trial, even through that suffering for his glory. Now, I don't know if this sermon is, uh, has any relevance to you here today. I assume that uh, most of you here have no family drama have no uh, financial stress, have no parenting woes, right? None of that, right? No, no worries about the future, right? None of that, right? But just per chance, someone snuck in here this morning that is going through something, this one's for you. <laughs> I want to give us two encouragements from this text here uh, this morning as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul. The first one is this. Don't waste your chains. Can you do me a favor? Can you say that? Don't waste your chains. Let me show us what I mean by that in our text. Okay, remember the Apostle Paul, he is in prison, and uh, this is likely his first communication back to some of his best friends in Philippi. And so he's going to go and tell them about the situation that he is in. And uh, so let's look at Paul as he talks about his current imprisonment and the struggle and how he is going to address that. Okay, so verse 12, this is what it says. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, this is incredible, right? What's taking place here? Remember, the Philippians are likely wondering, man, how's our brother Paul? How's he doing, right? How is, how is Paul's health? How is, what are Paul's needs? What, are, what is Paul's situation, right? What are some of Paul's condition that he is in? Is Paul going to ever get out of jail? Does Paul have, like, the death penalty? Like, is, are we going to see our friend Paul again? And so Paul's, uh, so Paul's first 
chance here to this community, to his friends, and, and to uh, telling them the first words that he says is, you know, he doesn't say, notice this, Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, um, talks about the blisters that he got from his shackles, doesn't do that. Right? Paul doesn't say, talk about his impending possible death sentence, he doesn't do that. The very first thing he says is, hey, I want you guys to know that I'm in jail, and that's really helped the gospel go forward. And let me just acknowledge that for a moment, okay? That is not a normal response. That is not normal. We read that, we're like, wow. Like, I, like I did not wake up this morning, right? And, you know, I didn't think, like, there's, not, there's no coffee to make. Like, if, 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 I, if I cannot have my coffee, life is on hold, okay? Like, I cannot go throughout my day without a cup of coffee. And... I do not rejoice on how the Lord might be working through me in my uncaffeinated body. Okay, like, no, it's, it's not going to be good. I, um, I click on YouTube, and it says you, will watch your, you can watch your video after a 15-second commercial. YouTube, why do you ruin my life? Like, seriously, like, this absolutely stinks. My blood pressure goes up. You know, this is a utter catastrophe here, right? Like our normal, our, our normal fleshly inclination toward trials and struggles, it's not, oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what he's doing in me. But that is Paul. That's Paul. For him, his life got restructured in such a way that his inconveniences and his conveniences, his successes and his struggles, right, were just a background narrative to the main narrative. The main narrative, which is knowing Jesus and making Jesus known to this world. His chains just become channels for, to, to communicate the love of God to the known world around him, right? His chains have now become channels to communicate the love of God to the known world around him. So the first thing he says is, I want you to know it's only to serve to advance the gospel. So number one, Jesus is going forth throughout the whole, it says, imperial guard. Let me just talk about that for a moment. Uh, imperial guard, right? For, for those who may not know what that is, the imperial guard was a group of uh, about 9,000 soldiers. Uh, they also called them the Praetorian Guard. And so this was a Roman military position that would have been a very elite position. And so these are just highly trained, uh, highly skilled, highly compensated, highly prized Roman soldiers in Rome at that time. So the, they, they were like Navy SEALs of their day. Okay, they were highly, they were compensated well. They were given the, the most elite duties in the military force. But one of the least glamorous jobs for the guard was to, uh, for this person, was to guard an uh, imperial prisoner. An imperial prisoner is a prisoner that needed to be watched over because they were seen as a, as a threat to Rome. 
they would have just, you know, what they would do is they would literally just tie the imperial guard to the prisoner. Tie them together. And so we got to understand Paul's perspective here, right? Paul's perspective, he is chained up to some dude with some big muscles who is going to make sure that he is not going to get away, right? And so what is Paul supposed to think? What does Paul think in this moment here? Paul's like thinking, I'm sure, like, wow, this guy must be predestined to salvation, right? This guy must be part of the elect that he's talked about, right? Like, why else would I be tied to this guy here, me, the evangelist, Paul? Why else, right? So you know what Paul does? Paul starts preaching the gospel to him. Amazing. Like, like the eight-hour shift ends and the next guy comes in, right? And Paul looks at this guy. He's like, look at the captive evangelistic audience right here. Sir, are you going anywhere for the next eight hours? Oh, I, I thought so. You're not going anywhere. So, you know what? Let me tell you about this man that I met on the road to Damascus. His name is Jesus Christ. And so for eight hours, he preaches the gospel. I love that. I mean, you've got to appreciate the humor in that right there, right? Like the very men who has tied up Paul so that the gospel doesn't go forth are the very fertile soil that the gospel goes forth in. <laughs> Jesus Christ is becoming famous among the imperial guard. And how does this end? How does that end? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward here uh, to the uh, uh, end of Philippians, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. Uh, spoiler alert for everyone. Uh, let me just show you the ending part really quick. Uh, this is Paul's final greeting. Okay, to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. This is what it says. It says this, greet every saint in Jesus Christ, the brothers, right? That's the Christians, who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, right? That's all the Christians, especially those of the, the what? What does he say? Caesar's household. Can you say What? What is happening here? This is pretty wild here, okay? Paul is in prison, and he's sharing the gospel to the royal guard, and even Caesar's household is meeting with Jesus. Even his household. What a backfire to the entire Roman authorities, right? Total backfire. But it is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The very men who have imprisoned Paul are now saying in the background, as Paul is writing this, hey, Paul, you're, you're writing this to the Philippians? Hey, tell our brothers hi. Okay, tell our brothers. Like, they're worshiping the same Jesus. And for Paul, his chains of imprisonment become the very channels of communicating God's grace to the world. And so I want to tell us, church, of what I think we can learn from Paul is this, is that oftentimes our own chains, our own chains are the best channels to communicate God's love to the world around us that desperately need to hear it. So let me ask you here this morning, what are some, what are some chains in your life? What are some chains in your life? 
I need, I, need, I need to say this. Some of you are here today and you feel uh, metamorphic, metamorphically chained to like your desk every day. You're just chained to it. Some of you feel chained to a family that is difficult. Some of you uh, stay-at-home moms might be feeling chained to just your, the house and not having the luxury to go out during the day. You might feel chained to some treatment center. You might feel chained to some hospital bed. Right? We all have some chains. I, I need to be clear when I say this, okay? Because the scripture never makes light of suffering. It doesn't imply that suffering is good, right? That God is the author of suffering, or it doesn't seek to remove the, 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 the paradox that we wrestle with uh, of a good and sovereign God and of pain and suffering in this world. But what I don't want us to miss is the discipleship moment for us, church, and, and that is this, is that Paul is showing us that we can't overlook this meaning. And that is, struggles and sufferings are the very place where God wants to use us the most. Right? Struggles and sufferings are the very place where God wants to use us the most. Like, there's this amazing paradox in the Christian life, isn't it? This amazing paradox that uh, often our greatest triumphs come through our greatest trials. And, and that's historically the church right there, right? It, it is the, the greatest place of advancement has been in the face of the greatest persecution. And then our greatest witness is often where we struggle the most. It is an amazing paradox. And, and so what I want to do is I want to apply that to our church here, right? I want to apply that to our church. Could it be that through your chains, God has given you a unique channel to communicate the gospel to the world? To speak of him, to be a witness uh, uh, for him, to, to give a testimony about him right where you are right where you are a while back uh, many a few years ago um, I was in a hospital room with a, a guy named uh, Lou Lou was a, um, a dear old saint and uh, had known Jesus he loved Jesus he's been with Jesus for just for many years most of his life he was in his late 80s he was uh, li literally dying and uh, I spent some time with him. We were praying together, uh, spending some time together. And I'll never forget, you know, uh, being with him. Uh, it was just a, a few days before he actually passed away. And uh, I was with Lou, and a young nurse came in, walked in, and the, and the nurse said, Hey, Lou, how are you feeling today? Lou responded, and he said, I'm happy in Jesus. I'm happy in Jesus. And then Lou said, um, he, he introduced me to the nurse. He said, this is Pastor Finn. And I, I just want to ask you, ma'am, can, can we ask you, how can we pray for you? And I thought, man, like what an incredible man this is. 
Right? You're not comfortable dying in a hospital bed, right? He could have he said a thousand other things that he knew, but he knew, though, that he didn't resent his chains to that death sentence in that hospital bed. But what he did was he leveraged his chains as an opportunity to minister to this woman. Absolutely incredible. What a witness Lou was. Amazing. And so let me ask you, how would it be that God might leverage your chains for his name and for his fame? How could God leverage your chains for his name and for his fame? Paul, he took the eternal perspective on suffering here. And because of that, the news of Jesus Christ went throughout the entire Roman Empire. But not only were uh, news, were, were these people coming to Jesus, right, becoming Christians. You got the imperial guard. You got the household of Caesar. But he says another thing happened because of his chains. This is what he says, verse 14. He says, additionally, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Right? And, and so, as Paul suffers, he uses his chains for both evangelism, right, to tell other people about Jesus, uh, but he also shapes the culture, the culture among the Christians throughout the known world at the time. Right? The whole Christian community, he shapes the culture. Did you know that, 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 that the Christians that are around you, that look up to you, that are looking at you, are, are going to be most moved, most inspired, most encouraged, not by how you face triumph, but by how you walk through adversity. Not by how you face triumph, but by how you walk through adversity. Right? These Christians are here. They are looking at Paul, and he's sharing the gospel from within prison. And for, I mean, he might be facing a death sentence here, and here is this man who is leveraging his life and finding his joy in Jesus. Right? And, and he shapes the whole culture of the Christians around him. And, and church, I want that to happen here in our church, right? That we would not be caught off guard when we go through struggles. That, that, that we wouldn't think, oh, you know what? Uh, Sarah's over there and she's going through a thing and I, I hope she can make it out of that. But that even more so, we would, that we walk through financial strains and relationship strains, that we, we, we as a church community, we would inspire one another. That even through trials, that we would walk uh, with Jesus. That even through difficulty, even through uh, the, uh, my difficulty, I would use that difficulty as an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus and how he met me through this trial. And so the first thing I want to uh, encourage us this morning is 
Don't waste your chains. Don't waste your chains. Don't think that someday when you get through that trial, that when you get through the stress, then you will be a witness for Jesus. No, God wants to use you right in the midst of your struggle. Right in the midst of your struggle. Number one, don't waste your chains. And so here's a second encouragement that I, that I see in this text that I want to share. And we're going to go back to verse 15. Uh, uh, but let me just set it up this way here. Um, we will all agree, Paul's not in a good situation, right? Not doing good. Uh, he is in jail. He is witnessing to the guards. And this isn't like, you know, Paul is chilling, hanging out at the Hilton and just, you know, enjoying, living the dream. No, that's not Paul here. Paul, he's in a situation that is grim, absolutely grim. But he actually tells us, though, that it's worse, though. He tells us it's worse. Like, we can read this. Paul, in a sense, can seem like he's positive, and we might actually miss the whole point, right? And so I just want to set it up this way. Here is the issue, okay? This is what's going on here. He is now talking about, you know, uh, some ministry rivals that he has that were outside of prison who were just making ministry way more difficult for, for him within the prison walls. I want, you to keep in, I want you to keep this in mind. These are brothers of his. These are his brothers in Christ. These are fellow Christians that are making his life in prison absolutely miserable. This is what he says. Verse 15 to 18, he says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of uh, rivalry. Another translation says uh, self-ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. And so the second encouragement that I want to uh, give to us this morning is this. Hook your joy in Jesus. Can you do me a favor? Can you say, hook your joy in Jesus? Come on, hook your joy in Jesus. Hook your joy in Jesus. I'm going to unpack that in a moment, but let me just uh, show us uh, what I mean by this text here. I want to just say this. Did you know that there's haters? Even in ministry, there are haters, right? And that is what Paul, that's what's happening to Paul here. Uh, let me bring this to life here. Paul was, uh, Paul was a guy who was a, kind of a big deal, okay? He's a guy who was a big deal. This was the Apostle Paul. He has taken the gospel to uh, multiple, uh, just different continents. He has planted uh, uh, different churches, different places. He has written letters that is being circulated among the whole Christian community. Right? So this guy is New York Times bestsellers list. Okay, this guy is absolutely killing it. He is the LeBron James of Christian ministry. He is the Patrick Mahomes of Christian ministry. And he has gone and contended against the heretics, and he has won. 
among the Christian community, this guy is a tower in the Christian community. This guy is a big deal, a huge deal. And he comes into town, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. There are some pastors uh, who are territorial, who are, you know, hyper-competitive, who are insecure, who are uh, just... uh, feel threatened that, you know, there's this uh, uh, other person that is coming on their turf, and they are defensive. Does that sound weird? No, right? Like, it happens all the time. Even today, it happens. When, when churches and church leaders and Christians get territorial, turf wars occur, right? Just competitive things happen. And when people get envious of other Christian leaders who have success in uh, ministry. And it happens all the time. And guess what? It happened in Bible times as well. And so that is what's going on here with the Apostle Paul. Okay? So here he is. He is in jail. And uh, Paul, there are people who are highly competitive around Paul there. They see an opportunity to get higher up in the leadership ladder. And so, you know, they want to take advantage of this uh, Paul's poor position that he is in. And so they're thinking, oh, the mighty have fallen. And so here is an opportunity for me. And they are trying to grow the bigger church. They are trying to get their own book deal here. Right? And I want you to think about Paul's perspective here. He's just trying to tell people about Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. He's in prison, the, the very people, the very cr- people, the Christian community that should be praying for him, that should be bringing meals to him, that should be uh, taking care of him, are instead competing with him. Competing with him, and they are making his position in prison much, much more difficult. And that absolutely stings. That stings. That hurts. The the worst blows are from people that are inside the church. The the worst blows are from people that are closest to you. And that is Paul's scenario that he is in at this moment. His situation is already bad, and he is in prison for the gospel, and the Christians around him are trying to compete with him Right? They're trying to spite him. They are trying to take advantage of his distress. What a horrible situation Paul is in. But I want you to look at what Paul does, though. Right? I love Paul's response right, to, this, to these insecure and super competitive pastors out there. Verse 18 says this. You know, he, go, he basically says, hey, you know what? No matter what their motives are, no matter what, their motives are, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice. I am going to rejoice because it it's not about my reputation. It's about the reputation of Jesus, right? And so these guys might have ill motives. They, they might be trying to, to, to grow the bigger church because it's like the, the hipper thing to do. They're trying to get their own book deal here and, so, you know, sweep up on my thing, all that, whatever, Whatever the case may be, the Lord's going to sort that out for me. 
The Lord is going to take care of that. But here's what I'm going to do. I am going to rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus Christ, his name, his gospel is going forth. His name is going forth. Here's the secret, church. Here's the secret. He has hooked his joy to Jesus. He has hooked his joy to Jesus. Did you know that um, joy doesn't exist in a vacuum? Like you can't get joy trying to, you, can, you can't get joy trying to get more joy, trying to get joy, right? Because every time you do it, what, it, what happens? It, it, it evades you. Joy is always attached to something. It is always a product of something. We always find our joy in something else. So it's, it's kind of like this passive thing, right? In a sense. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like joy is like this train car. Joy is like a train car. If you have a, a, a box car, it's not going to go anywhere until you hitch it to an engine. And that engine then will take it for a ride. So too is our joy. None of us have joy independent of everything else in a vacuum. We all have our joy attached. We attached our joy, attached our happiness, attached our well-being to something. Here's what I learned from Paul, right? Because he has hooked his joy to Jesus. Because he did that, his captors could not take it. Because he did that, his naysayers could not take it. It was secure in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, think about that. If Paul had hooked his sense of joy to what other people thought about him, guess what? He would have lost it. Right? Because his reputation was being tarnished. If Paul had hooked his sense of joy to his financial status, guess what? He would have lost it. Because this is a bivocational church planting pastor who is out of work and he is in prison. If Paul had hooked his sense of joy in his comfort and well-being, guess what? He would have lost it. He is in deplorable conditions. Guys, there is no Netflix here. Like, there's no vacation. There is no memory phone pillow. He is in a horrible situation. If Paul has had a sense of joy hooked in his promising future, right, guess what? He would have lost it. There is no self-actualization. There is no career a ladder to climb for him. There is no aspiration of retirement. There is no watching my grandkids uh, as I get older, right? There is none of that. If, if he tied his sense of joy to any of that, he would have lost it. But here's the secret thing, right, that we need to learn from Paul is this, we need to learn he knew that all things, right? Okay, can you say all things? 
one way or the other, right? Day, this day or the next day, we're going to disappointment. So, what did Paul do? He hoped his joy in Jesus. And in his poverty, Jesus became his treasure. And in that, he found his joy. In his affliction, he found his peace in Jesus. And in that, he found and retained his joy. When he faced death, he found life in Jesus. And in that, he found his joy. When, when the haters were hating and the people that were supposed to be caring for him were competing with him, he found his joy that the reputation of Jesus was still going forward. It was going forth. And in that, he rejoiced. He hooked his joy in Jesus. And church, would you hook your joy in Jesus? Would you do that? I don't say that just to just say this out of just religious platitude this morning. It's like, this is Christian life, right? And when I say joy, what I mean to say is like ultimate joy, right? Because it's okay to take your joy and have joy in your kids and your grandkids and in the great blessings of your life. That is all terrific. But our ultimate joy, where is that found in? Would it be found in Jesus? Because all the shiny things in this world, they will all pass away. But Jesus alone will satisfy. Hook your joy in Jesus. In the midst of everything that you're going through, would you say, like my friend Lou, I am happy in Jesus, that he is my ultimate joy.